Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is over Habakkuk 2, entitled, Waiting for an Answer. Habakkuk 2. Habakkuk is unusual because he is, his is not like your typical prophet in the Old Testament. Typical prophecy runs along the line of this. The God would speak to the prophet. The prophet would turn around and speak to the people. The message was ultimately uh, for the people. In the case of Habakkuk, this is a conversation between God and Habakkuk. It's basically a view into his quiet time. And he's struggling with how God's doing things or not doing things according to his uh, estimation of stuff. And so Habakkuk is, is different in that sense. And, and uh, we, we get to view his struggle and in many ways participate in it because he finds some similarities of ourselves. I think we're going to see this morning between the way he handles stuff and the way he dealt with things. And then some things maybe that aren't as consistent. Uh, some things that we need to learn from his life and the way he positioned himself with God. So chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 he says, I will stand. He's been asking God in chapter 1 for an answer. And so now what he does for, what does he do? He says, I will stand on my guard post and stay to myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. It's expecting an answer, right? And you ask God something, you ought to expect an answer. You may not like the answer. But God answers his children. And how I may reply when I am reproved, he's expecting to get, he's expecting to catch it. He knows, you know, that's okay. He stands there. He's ready for it. The Lord answered me and said, record the vision. Describe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, and it will not delay. So Habakkuk starts out in chapter 1 whining because God is not seemingly doing stuff. I prayed, God, and you're doing nothing. I cry violence, and it doesn't seem to be any response. And God says, I'm going to do something in your days that you wouldn't have believed even if I had told you. And then he tells him what he's going to do, and he doesn't like it. So he whines about God not doing stuff, and then when God does stuff, he doesn't like that either. And I don't know if anybody, if you've ever been like that before. <laughs> We're like that, aren't we? God, why don't you do something? And then that's not what I told you to do. Well, he doesn't do what he, you told him to do. He doesn't take commands very well, I would suggest. So, so then... He's asking here, effectively, please give me an answer as to why you're doing it the way you're doing it. What was happening was is that God, he was praying that God would do something with your wicked people. Your people are sinning. They're, they're going astray. The, the law is thrown to the ground, he says. And God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be sending the Babylonians. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. The Babylonians, they're the most wicked people on the planet. They're horrible. They're terrible. How could they possibly use as an instrument to judge your, albeit sinful people, your people? How could that be possible? He doesn't understand that, that, the plausibility of that whole thing. And so um, God effectively says at the end of chapter 2, I think the best thing for you, uh, Habakkuk, is to shut your trap and uh, trust me. <laughs> and so then in chapter 3, he gets this crazy idea of that maybe I ought to shut my trap and trust him. And so, yep, that's a good, that's a good thing for you to do. And uh, so he does that. And so it's really, that's the whole book, really, of, of Habakkuk. And the biggest lesson that we learn from it is one of the biggest lessons that we can learn in discipleship. Discipleship is us simply submitting ourselves to the will of God and conforming ourselves to the image of God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit working in our life. And part of that process, you know you're getting there, is when you're able to shut your trap and trust Him. Can you do that? Can you just wait? Can you wait? Because that's a part of discipleship. It's waiting for Him. Waiting for him and not giving up hope. Uh, Abraham is a great disciple. Why? Because God promised him way back that he was going to have a son. It says he never gave up hope. He, he increased in faith over time. Isn't that amazing? 
So I'm 100 years old. My wife's 90 years old. We're supposed to have a kid together. And it says he never doubted, not even a second. What? Wow. Amazed at that guy. And that's the kind of faith God is calling us to, to trust him, not our circumstances, not what it looks like, not what everybody else is doing, not what you thought it should be, but just simply trusting him, shutting our mouths and trusting him, trusting his character, trusting his power, trusting his unfailing plan, waiting for those things to come and to be what they're supposed to be because they are true about him in every way. So three things I want to give you this morning of uh, how do we know that we're waiting properly. Three things. Number one is, or, or maybe things that will enable us to wait properly, however you want to look at it. Uh, number one is trust his character. Trust his character. Don't tell me you're waiting and that you don't trust his character, that, you don't, that he's going to do right and it's going to be a hundred and it's going to be just right. And it's going to be on time and it's going to be completely correct. Don't tell me you're waiting for him if you don't believe those things are true because you're not waiting for him. And what happens when you don't wait for him is what? You go off and start doing it yourself, don't you? Uh, my wife and I bought some investment property this past year, and we we're going to fix it up ourselves because we're we're cheapskates, and we really really are. We don't have any money, so. Uh, but I, you know, there was some work to be done. I, you know, I can do this work. I mean, I can I can do it. I can figure it out. I may have never done it before, but I can figure it out. The problem that it is, like I told my wife, is that once we're done, it's going to look like I did it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's there, and it's working, but it ain't pretty, kind of thing. Somebody that did not know what he was doing did this. You've never been in a place like that? Painted this, fixed this, changed this, whatever it was. And uh, that's what you get when you don't wait for God. You take off on your own what you thought you, thought you had expertise that you do not have in the, in the things of life. And you fixed it yourself. And it's going to look like you fixed it. And you don't want that. You want to wait on the character of God. Trust in the character of God. Habakkuk fully believes that God cares enough to answer him and that his answer is going to be the best thing. Look, look with me at the last chapter, chapter 3, just one page over. The last chapter, actually two pages over. The last chapter, the last three verses. So at this point, he still had not gotten a full answer. But I want you to notice his attitude. This is an attitude of a disciple. The attitude of the disciple, though I don't have the answer that I want, though I don't have an answer at all, still believes in the character of God and that God's things and ways and the timing and everything is going to be just right. Notice his response. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, chapter 3, verse 17, and though there be no fruit on the vines, it's all bad stuff, though the yield of the olives should fail, that's bad, really bad, their society ran off of olive oil, and the fields produce no food. That's super bad. So everything bottoms out. Bottom line is zero. Okay. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. So everything's cratering, right? Boom, boom, boom. Everything's going down. Yet, he says, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet. and makes me walk on the high places. And then he directs it to the choir director to make a song out of this. Uh, notice his attitude. I trust the character of God. I believe in it. I know he's going to do what's right. I know when it's all over with, it's going to be good. Like I said, he's learned to shut his trap and trust God. And because God's ways, and he's, he's not going to fix it himself. He wishes God would do something quicker, but he knows that whatever God does, it's going to be for absolute best. He trusts the character of God. Maybe you've never heard this before, but God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I mean, it really does. It's really true. 
These Bible words we put up here this morning are like stuff I've known since I don't know high school or earlier. Memorize, I memorize these verses. It's like we know them really well up here. We don't really so well down here. Do you really believe this is true? For I know God says the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Do you really believe that? Then you'll wait on Him. You will wait. You will wait if you believe this is true about him. You will wait. God has taken care, listen, of the big stuff, hasn't he? You were separated from him because of your sin. No hope, an enemy of God. Hopeless in your circumstances. Dead in your trespasses and sins. God made you alive in Christ Jesus. God has worked his work himself. He's taken care of the big stuff. So everything else, whatever you're waiting for him on, is small stuff. Small miracles. Albeit miracles. Still small compared to what he's done. He who did not spare his own son, that's the big stuff, but delivered him up from us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? How will he not? Do you trust him? Do you trust his character? Trust that God will answer you. First Peter 5. Here's the thing to do. This is what Habakkuk learns to do. Humble yourself, right? Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. When is that due time? As soon as it happens. That's right. How do you know? Preacher, I, it's just, I, is it the time yet? If you've got to ask me, I'm telling you it's not that time because you'll know. Because the Spirit of God's working in your life and God's working and you belong to Him. And when He works, you, nobody's going to have to tell you. Nobody had to be told when God was working in the Bible. They never had to be told. It was obvious. God was speaking, they knew it. Cast all your, therefore, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Do you believe that? Then you, know, then you know that you can wait, and you don't have to worry about that wait. Stuff isn't coming apart, even though it may seem like that. God's got it, and it's going to happen in his timing, and that timing is going to be perfect. So number one, trust the character of God. Number two, ask specifically from God. Ask specifically. Habakkuk is not afraid to ask the question why. That's really what this book's about. Him asking why and God saying, wait for it. Here's why, and the why is going to come when I'm ready for it to come. Wait for it. He's not, not afraid to ask why. And, and, and does it not tell us in the Bible that we should be asking? So if you're waiting, you are asking. It's a part of waiting. How do I know I'm waiting correctly? You're asking. That's why. When, when you stop asking, you're not waiting anymore. Like I said, you're out there doing it on yourself. It's going to look like you did it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. So the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's not an exception to that. It doesn't say men or women, the good or the bad, the smart or the not so smart, the churchgoers, or it, everyone who belongs to God. You have to qualify for this. Ask. You have a father. He's your dad. Talk to him. Ask. Here's one we looked at last week. You don't have because what? They did not ask. And then when you ask, you ask amiss, right? To spend it on your own pleasures. Don't do that, but don't fail to ask. Don't fail to ask. It's part of waiting. It's part of waiting. It's when we stop asking, when we stop praying. It's when you stopped waiting. You stopped. And you've given up. Either you've given up hope or you've gone out to handle it yourself, and both of those are mistakes. So number one, trust the character of God in waiting. Number two, ask God specifically, that's the, one of the ways qualifying as, as correct waiting. Number three, expect, expect an answer from God. Are you doing that? 
Expect God to answer. Habakkuk, he says, goes up on the ramparts. He positions himself. I'm waiting. My watchtower, I'm, I'm waiting for the answer to him. God's going to speak to me. Does God still speak to his children? Here's what Jesus says. My sheep, hear my voice. So number one, you've got to be a sheep. Number two, as your sheep, you need to know your, your Savior has a voice. And number three, you need to know my sheep hear my voice. How do I know when God's speaking to me? That's not my problem. That is God's problem, and that is your problem. And I don't mean to be insensitive. I'm just telling you, when he wants to talk to you, you're going to know. When he wants to get it through to you, and at the same time, you can put yourself in a position where you're not hearing him. We're going to get to that in just a second. But if you really want to listen, listen, expect an answer from him. When you pray, expect an answer. Because if you don't, and here's the problem, is you get all wishy-washy. You don't expect an answer from God, then you're just a wishy-washy Christian. It's going to talk about the ocean here. I don't know if you've been. We have an ocean right over there, like 400 yards. You want to apply this example of what it could look like going through a piece of paper on that ocean and watch what happens. And if he lasts wisdom, let him ask God who gives all, notice, how many? To all generously without reproach and will be given him. Notice it doesn't say the sinless because there aren't any of those. Just as children, without reproach. So I don't know what I should do. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know which way to go. Well, ask him, but don't fail to believe him in that process, because if you do, if you fail to believe him, but it, he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the winds. Every, never, no two waves come in the same. For a man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded man and stable in his boat. Double-minded means you're walking in two directions at the same time. Can't do it. Can't do it. So you're washed around and sloshed around. And why doesn't God tell me? Because ultimately you started out not thinking he would answer you. Expect an answer. You may not like the answer. There's an example of Habakkuk here. He didn't like it. We saw last time Paul didn't like the answer when he prayed three times that this affliction would be removed from him. But, but he did have the discipleship depth in his heart to say, but because this isn't what I asked for, that I keep this affliction, God has something better for me. That's a disciple right there. That's a disciple. That's a disciple that understands that God is always going to do the best thing. It may not be the thing you ask for. When you ask a prayer request of God, what are you asking for? The best thing you can come up with, right? It's the maximum, Right? Here's the best case scenario. Just don't pray thinking you're telling God that God doesn't know what he's doing. It's not like I know you don't have an agenda, God, so I've got one. Let me show you what you need to do. No, that's not the way you ask God. You ask God because you're sovereign, because you love me, because I trust your character, because I know you're going to answer me. I'm asking this, nevertheless, not my will, right? But your will be done. And then when he gives you the answer, like it or not, that's the best answer. You can be sure 100% of the time. So, so I'm going to give you some signs here. And how do we know when we're listening? How do we know? So I'm expecting an answer from God. What, what does it look like? What does that expectancy look like? I'm going to give you three things here. Number one, that expectancy, the signs that I'm listening, that I'm ready for whenever God speaks to me, is that I've gotten myself in a quiet place. The exact same thing that Habakkuk does. Habakkuk puts himself in a place. He goes up on the ramparts, right? He goes off to a solitary place. Why? Because it's quiet there. It's isolated there. No, not, not as many distractions there. 
He doesn't stay in his shop. He doesn't go to the temple. He goes somewhere away. Somewhere he can get quiet. He quiets himself. He finds a quiet and calm place. How do I know I'm listening? Because I've gone to the place where I'm most likely to hear. Not that God can't speak in every circumstance. Not that God can't yell loud enough to get through all the rabble. But listen, i got a side to keep here. Now, sometimes God doesn't speak to us because we're not serious about it. And when you get serious about it, then I'll tell you kind of thing. Well, part of being serious is getting myself in that quiet place. Remember I told you that God basically told, told Zechariah that he needs to shut his trap and trust him? Well, here's the verse. Verse 20 of chapter 2. Take a look. The Lord, it says, is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. How much of your prayer is silence? I think a prayer is talking, right? I talk, 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 talk. Well, okay, nothing wrong with that. But is there a time where God gets to speak? Where you're just silently meditating on his word and on his character and trusting him, worshiping him, not laying out any agenda for him, per se. Any prescribed prescriptions for him to keep, per se. You're just simply in a place where you're quiet, listening to him that's how you know you're listening and when you're giving way to that back it goes to his watchtower so there won't be any distractions so there won't be anything or he quiets himself before god jesus even quieted himself notice and he had a lot of people around him right lots of noise and a lot of conflict and lots of stuff and lots of opposing him he says but jesus would often slip away in the wilderness and pray if jesus did that boy Do we ever need that in our lives? A quiet place. Life is so noisy, it seems like, anymore. I spoke to you last week about all the stuff going on with politics and uh, racial issues and and the border wars and our our, uh, uh, supposed wall and all this stuff. And and I told you, warned you, don't get involved in stuff that's not going to matter one second after you're dead. Focus on the stuff that matters. God is doing stuff, and the stuff that God's doing primarily in this world is his kingdom stuff. Focus on that. I'm not saying don't vote or care about that stuff, but that stuff really is not the big stuff. doesn't matter who's elected or not or all that kind of stuff. whoop de doo no big deal. won't matter a second after you're dead. Focus the stuff that will matter, that will continue to matter. Minutes, seconds, hours, years, centuries after after you're gone. Worry about that stuff. That's the stuff that needs to be focused. We need to quiet ourselves and get to a place where we've sheltered ourselves from this noise, this stuff that doesn't matter. Quiet ourselves and focus on what God is doing and the direction he's sending us and what he's calling us to do and reminding myself of the call that he has upon my life and the responsibilities that I have, being careful with the things that he's given me and the time that he's given me and not being distracted, you see. Uh, where, where can I go to get quiet? Maybe it's not a place. Maybe it's a time of day. Somewhere I've got to quiet myself. Researchers were looking into the phenomena of uh, what, what's called the elite athlete. I don't mean an elite athlete in the sense of, just in the sense of skills. There's a lot of skilled people out there who can do a lot of things in every, every type of sport. But they, they categorize the elite athlete in that this is the person who is is equal to everyone else as far as, or a little, maybe a little better than as far as athletic skill. But when it reaches a certain part of the game or a certain part of the season, 
or a certain circumstance with, within the game in which the time is running out and the pressure's on and the points are low and it's all, it's all on you, buddy, kind of thing, this person steps up. Like they go ahead, they step above everybody else. And they like turn into this superhuman person. They can make every shot. They can hit every tee. They, can, uh, they know exactly what to do. They just become the, this laser-focused type of person. And they've given them this term, this special, unique per- person has. They call it the quiet eye. They're able to, if you will, their mind's eye is able to focus on the job or the circumstance or the thing that needs to be done, even though, of course, as the game gets tighter or the circumstance gets tighter, the pressure gets more. It's like they don't feel it. They don't see it. They don't hear it. Why? Because they have this ability to laser focus like this. They have this quiet eye. Now listen, we need to be, as far as God's kingdom is concerned, elite athletes with a quiet eye able to focus as, as things get rougher and they're gonna as things get worse they're gonna that that we're able to laser ourselves in to what is god doing and what really matters fixing our eyes on things that which are not seen for the things that are seen are temporary are they not if you can't do that listen you can't quiet yourself and god's going to be saying a bunch of stuff and it's going to be like you're not your hearing aids turned off um, don't do that If you expect a response, listen, put yourself where you can hear. Put yourself where you can hear. So number one, how do I know I'm listening? Because I've gotten in a quiet place. Number two, how do I know I'm listening? Because I'm writing. I'm ready to write. You want God to talk to you? Get out a pen and paper. You really want it. You're going to hear a bunch of stuff. God loves to speak to his children. God saved you for what reason? Look at a trophy on the wall. He saved you. You could be his. He could be your father. You could be his child. That's a relationship. He wants a relationship, you see. He doesn't want, he's not like got some kind of tally up there saying, I'm ahead of Satan by this many. It's not like that. A relationship, person to person, he created uniquely, a unique relationship with him, not through someone else or through a congregation or through a pastor. You with him. That relationship, he paid dearly for it. That relationship is a relationship that he's, he's calling you to. to and so when, in that relationship, he's going to be speaking to you. You need to write it down. Stuff he's going to say to you, he's not going to say to me about you. People come to me, Pastor, what's, Pastor, what's the Lord saying in my life? I say, I don't know. Ask him yourself. He doesn't talk to me about your stuff. I'm having a hard time getting my stuff. <laughs> Go talk to him. Speak to him. God is in a personal relationship with each one of us. If you expect a response from him, be ready to write. Why? Well, because what he says is important, I believe, but also because what he says is easily misinterpreted. Even tomorrow, what he said to you today is going to have a change in it. Because if you're going to just remember everything, I don't know, ladies, I know you're not like this. My wife's not like this, but I know how I am. She sends me to the store for three things I can remember, and it doesn't matter what. I mean, maybe it's the same three things every week, but it will be a mixture of these three, but I can only come home with two things. I cannot remember the third thing. And needless to say, the fourth, fifth, the hundredth, or two thousandth thing, whatever it is, I cannot remember it. I got a doctorate degree. 
but I can't remember three things from Walmart. <laughs> so it has to be written down. We have this policy where she takes a picture of the list on the refrigerator, and she sends it to me on my phone. The phones are great things. And um, oh, I go down the list. There it is. One, two, three, A, B, C. We got it figured out. I can't remember stuff. I can't remember stuff, so it has to be written down. We're, we're very similar to that. We live, listen, we live with three enemies in this world. We actually live with, well, the world, right? The flesh and the devil. So the world lies to us. The devil lies to us. And then the flesh to carry with you every day, it lies. It's the biggest liar you got. It's the, the heart of men is the most deceitful thing that there is. And so God spoke to me a week ago, but now I'm interpreting it this way because I didn't care enough to write it down when I felt like God was saying something to me. Be, even be careful of stuff you wrote down. Be careful of that, but at least you have the impression that you were getting right then. I believe God was telling me I need to do thus and such. Write it down. Put the date. Put the date. And as much as you can, in the clarity of that moment, write it down. It's amazing, again, how easily our answers from God get misinterpreted when, you just, we, try, when we only try to remember them. Uh, it's not a good idea at all. So then there's a third thing, but I can't get my computer. There it goes. <laughs> so number one. <laughs> How do I know I'm listening? Well, I'm willing. I'm, I'm, I'm in, I put myself in a quiet place. N- number two, I'm ready to write. Number three, and this is a toughie, I'm willing to wait. How do you know? How do you know that you're listening? Because you're willing to come back again and again and again. You're willing to wait. Notice, notice Habakkuk is, is told to wait in the first chapter, and then what happens in the second chapter? So God says, verse 2, then the Lord answered me and says, record the vision, right? Write it down. Inscribe it on tablets, right? Write it. Because if he talks, you need to know. The one who reads it may run. The vision is yet for an appointed time and hastens towards the goal, and it will not fail. Therefore, though it tarries, what? Wait for it. So I told you to wait in the first chapter, and my answer to your to your waiting in the first chapter is that I'm going to tell you to wait some more. Like I said, you're 70 years old, you're going to wait three years out of your whole life, right? Prayer, listen, by its nature, is waiting. God is not in a hurry. And hurry is the death of prayer. Because like I said, you hurried because God doesn't come through, and so what do you do? You go out and do something yourself. It's going to be a mess. That's going to be one more thing. You're going to have to get unraveled. So now I've got three messes to undo because I didn't wait for the first one for God to work on. God is not in a hurry. He's not. Prayer by nature is stopping and waiting. A Sabbath rest is by nature stopping and waiting. It's built into the system that God has for us because we need it. We have to have it. We have to. and It's part of discipleship is being able to shut our trap, be still, be quiet and wait for him. It's such, it is the basis of discipleship. How, how else are we going to grow and really find out the answers of God and really see what God is able to do unless we wait for him, you see? How? One uh, Saturday afternoon, there was a lady who was 
uh, headed down to her corner produce stand. A uh, neighbor of hers owned this stand, lived in her neighborhood. She knew him personally. And this little produce stand, she was going down just to get a, just to get a bag of grapes. And it was going to be quick. You know, she had other things to do that day. And so she's rifling down there, hurrying down there. And, and she's just going to go in there and grab, grab some grapes and come back out. When she gets down there to the produce stand, well, there's a line coming out of the produce stand. And there's like the guy's there by himself and he's having to wait on each individual person and the different things that they want. And, and so, well, that wasn't what she wanted. You know, she doesn't, you know, waiting wasn't the plan. She had other things to do that day, but she needed these grapes. And so she just said, well, I'll just wait. The line seemed to be moving pretty rapidly. It turned out it didn't move that rapidly because he was waiting, waiting on each one of them and, and handling their needs personally, you know, in their situation. And so the line continues to progress, and, and she, um, she continues to wait, and she's impatient throughout the whole thing. And she finally gets to the front of the line, and she says, all I really need is some grapes. He says, um, wait right here. But he doesn't go back into his little produce stand. He goes around the side and out the back somewhere where she can't see him. And she's just like, ah, you know, I just need some grapes. I mean, there's got to be some, I mean, grapes is, you know, common fare. It's like an orange or an apple. I mean, you got to have some of that stuff here. He, she sees some of it, in fact. What was wrong with those grapes? And so, so he, uh, he disappears and not for a minute or two. He's gone for like five minutes. She's just like, I shouldn't have come, you know, I can come back later, or I can do this, maybe I should just leave. She's just about to get out of line, and around the side of the building comes this guy, holding a brown bag. Opens a brown bag, and there's these gorgeous grapes in there, way better than the ones that she can see. Gorgeous grapes, turns out when she takes them home and eats them, they are some of the best grapes she's ever had. And he says this to her. He says, oh, I, I'm so sorry for making you waiting, but I, but I wanted to get what the best that I had for you, he said to her. Thanks for waiting, because I'm able to get you now the best that I have. And she says, they, they truly were. I, I wondered today, this morning, how long have you been waiting in the line for God to answer your request? How long? How long have you been waiting in the line for God to meet your need or solve your problem or open the door? How long have you been waiting I have some sage advice from you from the book of Habakkuk. Don't get out of line. Don't get out of line. Trust his character. Trust that if you're waiting, it's because he's got something better for you. Allow him to bring you his best. Allow him to give you what what you really need. Not, Not what you prescribed, but what's better for you. Not what your eye can see, but what's best for you. Trust him. Can you trust him? Can you wait for him? Can you be ready for him? Can you put yourself in a quiet place? Can you expect an answer from him after asking specifically? I believe we can. I'm going to ask you please to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about what God has said to us today. God is so good to us. God loves us. God has already done the big work and brought us into relationship with himself, taken us from uh, lost sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins, to being alive in Christ, sons and daughters of God, in a relationship with Him. He loves us. You ask Him for bread, He will not give you a stone. He hears us. He knows our needs better than we know ourselves. Maybe what we need to say today is, 
as we get ourselves back in line, is we need to say to him, God, we trust you. God, we trust you. God, we, we trust your character. We trust that your timing is right. We trust God. We have history in our lives that demonstrates that, and so it's not going to be any different tomorrow or today for us. We trust you. You're being good to us. You're hearing us. And the fact that we don't have an answer yet is because it's not the time yet. It's not the due time. But when it's due, and you know when that time is, you'll bring that answer to us. You'll, you'll, you'll move for us because you're being good to us, God. We humble ourselves before you because we're your servants. A servant doesn't tell the master what to do. A beggar can't be a chooser. And you can do whatever you want, God, but because of your character, you're going to do what's right and what's good. And so we just trust you today, God. And we need your help to trust and wait. Thank you, God, that those who wait upon you will mount up with wings like eagles and will run and not grow weary, will walk and not grow faint. Help us to wait, God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.